I have often thought that an interesting idea for a podcast would be to sit down and just interview random people and see where the conversations go. In today's world, we have never been so open yet so closed off from one another. We have this ability to be instantly connected and yet we struggle so much to feel connected to one another. And this time of COVID has really both highlighted and underscored this emotion. But I often think that everyone has a story. And in some way, that story is something that connects all of us. It connects us to our humanness, to our own embodiedness. If we are a body of many parts, shouldn't we take the time to hear from all of them? But who has the time for yet another thing? Or as I saw a meme on the internet the other day, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, don't. I bring this up because in today's lectionary, we find ourselves discussing who God is, and by definition, we have to figure out who we are. If we carry the Imago Dei, understanding God is important in understanding ourselves. And likewise, if we understand ourselves better, we might be able to understand God as well. But let us work through the prophet Isaiah first. Today's scripture from Isaiah 51 1 through 6. And since it's a bit, a small bit of scripture, I'll read it to us from the CEB. Listen to me, you who seek for righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to your Abraham, your ancestor, and to Sarah who gave you birth. There they were alone when I called them, but I blessed them and made them many. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all of her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden and her wilderness like the Lord's garden. Happiness and joy will be found in her. Thanks and the sound of singing. Pay attention to me, my people. Listen to me, my nation. For teaching will go out from me. My justice as a light to the nations. I will quickly bring my victory. My salvation is on its way and the, my arm will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me. They wait for my judgment. Look up to the heavens and gaze at the earth beneath. The heavens will disappear like smoke. The earth will wear out like clothing and its inhabitants will die like gnats. My sal- but my salvation will endure forever, and my righteousness will be unbroken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, what understanding do we find in the prophet's words? First, Isaiah tells us if we want to know the Lord, let us look to our own history, both personal and our larger human history. Look to the rock that you were cut from. Look to the quarry from which you were dug. And God points to throughout Isaiah is look to how God is taking care of humanity and look how God is taking care of Israel. Look and know that God is God and what God promises to take care of you. It's a promise that he will fulfill. God has promised that his salvation is coming and when it comes, it will endure forever. And God reminds us that if we are to have hope in the future, We must also look to our past and see our hope in God has endured, which our hope has been met. And not just our stories, but the stories of others as well. There's a certain importance of knowing the story of others that can help bring present hope. It might be just the fact that I am an extreme extrovert. 
But I do know that I feel more hopeful when I hear stories of other people's hopes. When I hear the stories from the quarry of other lives and hearing how they've been cut from the stones of life, I am able to see how God has endured with them. And maybe that means God will endure with me. And it's important to say that because we're living in a bit of different times now, aren't we? We're living in a midst of a bit of our own exodus. In the midst of these times, it can feel pretty hopeless. We feel like we have just to give in to the darkness and give in to this new way of living. It's hard to not let fear or loss creep in. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden and her wilderness like the Lord's garden. Happiness and joy will be found in her. Thanks and the sound of singing. There is a certain way that we need to have hope. When God speaks of hope, it is through the prophet's words and its communal hope. Or as the reading in Psalm today, once again in the CEB, If the Lord hadn't been for us, let Israel now repent. If the Lord hadn't been for us when those people attacked us, when they would have swallowed us up whole with their rage burning against us, then the waters would have drowned us. The torrents would have come around our necks, and the raging waters would have come over our necks. Bless the Lord, because he didn't hand us over like food for our enemy's teeth. We escaped like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap was broken, so we escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Communal hope. Israel's hope was a glue that held them together during their hardest times in their journey through the Old Testament. They had to tell and retell stories of how God saved them in the past, and that would inform their communal hope that they have now. They have hope because they had hoped. And somehow, somewhere along the we lost this. It seems that our hope kind of gets lost. Now, I've said this many a times while staring into how the American church has responded to so many things. It seems that we rather respond with fear and with anger. We responded with, well, whataboutisms, or that this is the end of society as we know it. We find ourselves fighting in a culture war and using fear as a weapon. We find ourselves caring more about ourselves, about me and mine, than the other. We find ourselves stating, because I am a Christian, I can't support certain social causes. We find ourselves becoming more and more irrelevant to culture because of this. And we are having less and less of a voice in culture. And this is not the hope that I've seen in the Lord. This is not the quarry that we are cut from. Let us consider the early church and actually how they responded to plagues. Sociologist and historian Rodney Stark's book entitled The Triumph of Christianity, How the Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion. He talks about how the early Christians' response to the plagues in the 1st and 4th century helped position Christianity to grow because of how those Christians responded. This is a paragraph from his book. As for actions, Christians met the obligation to care for the sick rather than desert them, and therefore thereby saved enormous numbers of lives. As William H. McNeil points out in his celebrated Plagues and Peoples, under the circumstances prevailing in this area, 
even quite elementary nursing will greatly reduce mortality. Simple provisions of food and water, for instance, will allow persons who are temporarily too weak to cope for themselves to recover instead of perishing miserably. It is entirely plausible that Christians nursing would uh, plausible that Christian nursing would have reduced the mortality rate by as much as two-thirds. The fact that most stricken Christians survived did not also go unnoticed, letting the immense credibility to Christians as miracle working. Indeed, the miracles often included pagan neighbors and relatives. This surely must have produced some conversions, especially by those who were nursed back to health. In addition, while Christians did nurse some pagans, being so outnumbered, obviously they could not have cared for most of them, while all or nearly all Christians would have been nursed. Hence, as a Christian group, it would have enjoyed a far superior survival rate, and on these grounds alone, the percentage of Christians in the population would have increased substantially as, both, as a result of both plagues. End of the quote. They offered hope because they did not espouse fear, but rather took care of those who were afflicted and in simple ways. They gave food and water. They sat with the sick. They did not abandon what would uh, abandon what would help people to get better. Rather, they took steps above and beyond what would help people get better. They didn't argue about wearing masks or about. They didn't argue about gathering together. They didn't argue. They didn't defy state sanctions for the case of self righteousness. They fed the hungry, they sat with the sick, they were selfless. And because of what they were able to grow, uh, they were able to grow Christian faith, partly because people saw how selfless they were in loving others, how they were willing to go above and beyond to love their neighbors. I say that because I compare that with what, how we are perceived in today's current pandemic. I find myself arguing with Christians about whether we need to gather, physically gather together against state orders. I find more and more Christianity is about us, people inside of our church, than it is about caring about other people. It's about our ability to gather together and sing songs than it is about caring for the sick. And when, and then when the answer gets back, uh, the answer that I get back when I bring this up is that I'm not trusting in the Lord enough. That if I trusted in the Lord more to take care of me, well, then I wouldn't fear gathering together. If the Lord is for me, then who can stand against me? Or if we really want to take this idea to the extreme, as some of our Christian brothers and sisters do, we should just be like a snake church, where we should have poisonous snakes hold on to poisonous snakes and the snakes will not bite us because of our faith which is all coming out of a bad interpretation of the last chapter of mark where it does say that you could hold on to poisonous snakes and they will not bite you so if we hold services if we have uh, enough faith then covid won't get to us right negligence is not the same as hope or trusting in the lord we see this throughout the works of Paul, where he is constantly tested on this. He says uh, from Romans 6, once again from the CEB, Should we continue sinning so that to mul- so grace will multiply? Absolutely not. Should we sin because we aren't under a law but under grace? 
Absolutely not. The last part, because should we sin by being prideful and making it about us instead of the others and keeping others safe because we aren't under the law, because we are saved by grace, by no means. Absolutely not. So many times as we as humans will treat God as some of this kind of weird universal health care. That there's no matter what we do, God has got us covered. And there is some truth to this. But God does not want us to live in such a way that we constantly test grace. To live in such a way that we end up abusing grace or treat it lightly and without the respect. God, through Christ, advises us to be wise as serpents, but yet innocent as doves. We need to use wisdom and not live carelessly. The last bit of scripture uh, that we used this week was from Romans 12, 1 through 8, where we get towards one of the crescendos of Romans, and it fits nicely into how we can live as people as hope. Romans 12, 1 through 8, once again in the CEB. So brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't have all the same function in the same way. Though there there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. Individually, we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace. That have been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophecy in portion to your grace. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one who should do it with no the one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion. The one showing mercy should be cheerful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I can already hear the people using this scripture against me. See, Pastor Jerry, we are are not supposed to conform to the things of this world, like mask mandates, but rather renew our minds and follow God. And now I'm going to stop you right there and back this up a little bit and go to that opening. We are called to be living sacrifices. We are called to live differently, and that's what Paul is pushing us towards when he talks about not conforming to the ways of this world. We are called to live differently as in to live for others and not just for ourselves. Because that is actually sacrifice. If you think about it, sacrifice is always traditionally thought of as something done on someone else's behalf. If we are called to be living sacrifices, then we are called not to be living for our own sake, but the sake of others. And that's not how the world wants you to live, right? This world is constantly telling us that it's only about you and yours, about protecting your kingdom, about being uh, and watching out for those who you care about. And what Paul is saying is like, no, our minds should not be on that, but rather like Christ, 
and live as Christ has lived. Being a living sacrifice means looking out for the other and do what Christ did, which is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and being, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. Do not conform to a world that tells you that your individual freedom is more important than the freedom of others. Do not conform to a world that tells you to be prideful. Do not conform to a world that tells you to think highly of yourself. In fact, Paul, as he continues, says, since we are saved by grace, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And I'm going to say that again because in a world where we are told so many times that it is about me, 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 in a world that constantly reinforces that it's about protecting me and mine, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Paul then goes into a familiar discussion about how we are the body and we are dependent on one another. And if we think that we are more important than the rest of the body, we will forget that we cannot function without the rest. We cannot function without the rest. It takes all of us. And we should think of this outside of the sense of how we usually think of this, where we only restrict it to other Christians. Because this is about humanity as well. We are all dependent upon one another. And we need to not, we need to not care for me and mine, but the other as well. If anything, this pandemic has showed us, it has showed us how deeply we need one another and how we really are connected to one another. But with that, it has also shown us how this world wants to keep us divided, whether it be by political ideologies, the color of your skin, whether you support police or not. This pandemic has shown us that it can use our need to feel connected as a way to separate us as well and making us only connect to people who have similar beliefs as us. And that is why I want to offer an antidote. That is hope. See, hope is different. In seminary, one of the things that stood out to me is that when I was going through Romans, I did a class on uh, the Greek and Romans, was the word hope. When Paul uses it, it's better translated as a confident expectation. And that has always stuck with me. I do not hope in the Lord. I have a confident expectation in the Lord. I have a confident expectation that the Lord will deliver us. I have a confident expectation that we as humans can find more in common than we can find things that separate us. I have a confident expectation that God desires for us to be safe and to be wise. I also believe in our communal hope. Our confident expectation that even though this pandemic may feel like it is splitting us up, that the Lord can still bind us together in our humanity, in our embodiedness, that we are the body of humanity and we, can, we are still dependent on one another, and that we can have a communal hope in Christ and in God that God is not done with us, that through the Holy Spirit, God is still moving among us, even now. Even amidst everything is going on. And I have a hope that we can still be known. And that we can also be known as Christians 
as people of hope, that we don't let this time of fear separate us, that we can rather live exemplary lives, that we can take care of the sick, that we can be known for loving the other, and by that, people will get to hear the good news. And I have a confident expectation that the Lord is with us, and I hope that you can do the same and that you can feel the same. And also, please remember, wash your hands.